so glad, glad to see you. This is part two of One Minute After You Die. How many of you were here last week for part one? Hey, I want to thank you for coming back because this is the hard one today, and you were alerted that this is the tough one today. It's eternity without God. I, I think that all across the nation, our nation in particular, the preaching about this subject is probably at an all-time low, and it probably has to do with the fact that in not too distant past, I mean, preaching on this subject was an all-time high, and they used to call it hellfire and brimstone preaching, and it was all ratcheted up, you know, the preacher would bring the heat and the emotion and try to scare people into heaven almost, and that was very offensive to so many, and uh, as a result, there's a reaction across the nation, and some very tough questions are being thrown out uh, against this uh, idea. I just want you to know this uh, series one minute after you die. By the time I finished preaching three times last Sunday, I had multiple people say, is this based on the book? And I'm thinking, and I said out loud, what book? <laughs> I ran into the title somewhere else, not the book, and then they said, no, it's a great book. And so somebody actually gave me a copy and I read it this week. I was um, glad I did, and I was really glad that it was good <laughs> because I was doing a series by the same uh, title. So I highly recommend it. I'm going to get into some subject matter today that's complex and some things that I can't really take time to detail out. It's by Erwin Lutzer, or Lutzer, I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, One Minute After You Die. If you're into Kindle, it's $2.99. You can download it right now. Don't start reading yet, though. All right. <laughs> we are going to start with this question. It's an interesting one. The question is, why do you think... There are a growing number of people who believe in heaven that do not believe in hell. I mean, all across the nation, I think there are also a lower number of people than ever within the faith, not just those opposed to the faith, within the faith that do not believe in hell at the same time that they believe in heaven, which is kind of fascinating to me because we get information about both of these ideas, eternity with God or eternity without God. We get them both from the same source, from Jesus. Now, before I proceed, I just want to tell you, this is a very, very uncomfortable subject for me <laughs> to preach. I'd rather be in the kid-friendly section right now and just hear the kid-friendly messages because it's like, it's really tough to talk about this. I would come home all, all this week, I was really focusing on a lot, come home all this week and my wife would say things like, so how was your day? I said, I focused on hell all day. <laughs> Like, ah, you know, and, and actually, rather than it being a really gloomy, ugly day, there were many elements that I was actually encouraged by as I focused on the Word of God and was coming with some significant answers to very challenging questions that are brought our direction, and I've had lots of conversations about this kind of thing with many, many people. So here's a challenge question to get us thinking before we jump into a tough subject. How can a supposedly holy and loving God send anyone to the horrors of hell forever? That seems mean and evil, not holy or loving. And I've literally had conversations with those people who have rejected the faith and said things like this to me. I'd rather go to hell that you believe in than to follow your God that seems more devilish than the God you think you believe in. It's like, 
whoa, there's an extreme reaction out there to think that this is loving to send anybody to an eternal place of horror like this. And so it's with a difficulty that we get into a subject like this, and it's not comfortable to get into a subject like this. And so here we go. The only reason I get into a subject like this is it's not my opinion. It's not because I want to believe in it. It's because I believe Jesus taught this very clearly. And Jesus taught not just subject about hell. By the way, Jesus taught a lot about heaven, but most of his teaching about the kingdom of heaven was about how heaven affects us right now. And how we can get heaven to actually enter into our lives and be a part of the kingdom of heaven, which is near. He talked about the heaven as a destination as well, but less frequently than he talked about hell as a destination. And so it's interesting to me that although people like Jesus, they forget that he taught about hell and he's the best source about the information beyond this life than any source ever. Now, last week I got into this and I can't really repeat it, why I believe that Jesus is a credible source. If you're not sure about that, revisit last week's message. It's online. You can take a look at that. Here's a reflect to continue. What you believe about eternity determines how you live today. That's what this whole series is about. I'm not just trying to answer academic questions that are hard and they're challenging, and I hope to bring that answer to you. And literally, I'm consciously going to try to ratchet down my normal passion. I get kind of excited and preach real hard and get emotional and all that. I'm trying to go, whoa, whoa, don't go hellfire and brimstone. Bring down the emotion because we're going to try to talk reason to you. I'm not trying to bring an emotive message. I'm trying to answer some tough questions and bring reasons, but not without moving you to change how you live because that's what it's all about. Let's go a little bit light. There's an actual gravesite that reads this way. Pause here, stranger, as you pass by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you shall be. Prepare for death and follow me. Now, there was a guy by the name of Tim Wayne, Tim Wayne Lee that died. He liked that so much, he put it on his tombstone, but he added two lines at the bottom. So let's read the part again. Pause, stranger, when you pass me by. As you are now, so once was I. As I am now, so you will be. So prepare for death and follow me. And then he adds the two lines. To follow you, I'm not content until I know which way you went. <laughs> and that's a really good added addendum to such a poem. We really need to know which direction we're following and that's what this series has been about. There's an eternity with God, and there's an eternity apart from God, and now we want to talk about the eternity apart from God and get into some of the details. I'm going to crunch a lot of material together quickly on the screen are some phrases and descriptions about hell, most of them from Jesus, thrown outside, into the darkness, thrown into the eternal fire, pause, whoa, fire, and darkness, same place, huh, what do you do with that? Well, one thing you could do is, well, you could do this. Radioactive fire doesn't put off light. Radioactive fire just burns. In fact, my microwave burns, and if the light's not on, it'll keep burning. You know, you could do that kind of thing. I don't think Jesus is talking about that. He's using images, descriptions, and phrases so that we can imagine something horrible, okay? And if we didn't have his images, descriptions, and phrases that are horrible, we would not be able to uh, imagine. Images help us imagine. We wouldn't be able to imagine the reality of the unimaginable spiritual reality. 
that's, I think, worse even than darkness, outer darkness, loneliness, and continuous fire. Where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, thrown into the fire of hell, where the worms that eat them do not die, and the fire is not quenched, thrown into the lake of burning sulfur, thrown into the blazing furnace, the smoke of their torment will rise forever and ever. Now, in other words, this isn't just you go into a place, burn up, and you're no more. The smoke of your torment continues forever and ever. Okay? This is not pleasant. So let's go to the kid-friendly version over there, right? That's what I want to do, but no, let's deal with this reality. There's something we need to get a hold of. This is the second death. Now, death isn't as we moderns tend to think. Death is only the cessation of physical life. Jesus used the term death two different ways in one sentence when a guy says, I want to follow you, but I need to wait first. I want to bury my father. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. Let the dead bury the dead. You come follow me. He just used death two different ways. Let the living dead bury the physically dead. You come follow me so that you can be the living living. You might go through physical death, but then you'll be the living living and not go through second death, which is the living eternally in the state of separation from God, eternal death. Okay? Lessons. We're going to jump into some tough, tough lessons from Jesus. This comes from Luke 16. It's the parable, but there are a lot of things to be learned be learned about this parable. Luke 16, starting at verse 19, there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. So far, it sounds great. I'll sign up for rich, living in luxury every day, except this is a turnabout story and a contrast story that Jesus tells. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus covered with sores. Doesn't sound so good. It gets worse. And he's longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. And don't think, oh, sweet dogs. It's even the dogs. Back in that day, dogs were scavengers. They were pests. They were awful. They were gross. And now the gross, awful dogs are fighting for his scraps and licking his sores. Get away from me. Verse 22, the time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. Now we have this compare and contrast. It was really, really bad in his life, but he was brought to Abraham's side. Just in case you're unfamiliar with the chronology, Abraham lived 2,000 years before Jesus arrived on the scene in human form. And so Abraham is the ancient father of the faith and he is now where this beggar went to. And he's in Abraham's presence at his side. The rich man also died and was buried. Verse 23, in Hades, now I think the King James Version translates Hades hell repeatedly, at least in the older versions of King James, but that does get confused matters. I can't get into it in great detail. You might want to get this book. It gets into the different translations and different, for hell, Hades, um, Gehenna, uh, Tartarus, but Hades is a Greek translation of the Hebrew word Sheol, and it's a little different, and to get into those details would be important to know, but too much for today. Let me just say this, in Revelation, all those in Hades are cast into hell on Judgment Day. So what is a temporary situation, while still in torment, becomes a permanent situation at Judgment Day. In Hades, where he was in torment, ugh, 
He looked up and saw Abraham far away with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I'm in agony in this fire. Sound bad? Yeah, understatement. But Abraham replied, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things while Lazarus received bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. Now, that has a powerful punch at the end because you know who's speaking, Jesus. Jesus is telling the story, and if they're not going to listen to what the scripture says that God says about life, even if someone rises from the dead and comes back and speaks to them about heaven and hell, they're not going to believe them either, and Jesus did precisely that, and people still do not believe in the reality beyond the grave. Now, here's some quick lessons that are horrifying to me about... One minute after you die. Learn from the rich man. One minute after he died, he was fully conscious and aware. He's interactive. He's aware of his situation. He's asking and pleading and and trying to make things change. His eternal destiny, however, is irrevocably fixed. Not as in it was broken and now I fixed it. But it cannot be changed. There's a chasm that's set between him and the good place at that point. And they can't cross over. So some of the ideas that we have about changing our state after death from one place to another are just wrong according to Jesus. There's a chasm. There's no change other than confirmed in your eternal state on judgment day. Uh, Jude 6. Jude, by the way, has only one chapter. So when I say 6, it's chapter 1, verse 6. talks about angels being held, fallen angels being held to be judged later, but it's like that. Here he's in torment, he's being held, the judgment will take place later, and then Hades will be cast into hell. He knew God's judgment was completely just. Here we get a sentence, and everywhere, whether you're innocent or guilty, everybody, people say, it's not fair, I can't believe the judge, and there's arguing and jockeying and trying to explain that I shouldn't belong, it was an accident, blah, 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 there's none of that going on one minute after you die, it's completely just, and you know it, he knew it, he pleaded for someone's, someone to help his brothers, now, here's where I differ on this one tiny thing with Lutzer, he says, whoa, could there be a little remnant of love in hell? I'm thinking, no. But he's thinking, it seems like he still has love for his brothers and wishes he doesn't get there. You know what I think? I think it's guilt. He has paved the way and his brothers are following in his footsteps and hell's gonna be worse and more hellish if his brothers arrive and they're angry at him. We wouldn't be here except for you. It's gonna be worse with the people that he's influenced to get there same way he did. And he's saying, please send somebody. Keep them from me. That's my opinion. 
he pleaded for someone to help his brothers repent. Well, which means he knows they should repent while they still can. It's too late for him. Whoa. And he experiences eternal regret. This is horrifying and chilling. Verse 25 reads, remember that during your life you received your good things. You can remember the good things and how you can remember that you could have escaped. You can remember all that you sacrificed. I wouldn't have to be here if. That's horrifying. So it leads us to the chilling and horrifying question, point number two, but how can a loving God send people to hell? How can a loving God send people to hell? Let me give you the quick answer. The quick answer is God does not choose hell for people. They freely choose it for themselves. Here's a lighter answer. On the screen, lighter answer goes like this. After you die, you're not asked by guest services at the gates. Hey, would you like the smoking or non-smoking section for eternity? <laughs> but rather, what becomes clear is that you already chose your gate, your way of life, your destiny. Jesus told it to us this way, enter through the gate, the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. And so many people that I've had conversations with, see, why would I want to be with your God where he only saves a few and condemns the masses, the larger masses, than the few to this horrible forever hell, which leads us to point number three. But why is it forever? If our crimes against God were committed in this finite time of a space of a life, why is the punishment so far greater than the crime? That it's eternal punishment for a temporary crime. And so I would like to address that question this way. 1 John 1, 5 says, This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. So I'd like us to ponder those thoughts with these ideas. Here's the reflect. Light and darkness do not mix. Light displaces darkness. It is hell's will to take people away from God. It is heaven's will to draw people to God. Darkness does not accept light, and light does not accept darkness. Now, here's my thought process here. In this world, there's darkness, this isn't heaven yet. In this world, there's also light. God is good and he's created much good. You can pretty much find what you look for. And if you enjoy darkness, you can look for darkness and find darkness and choose dark paths. And to you, it feels like light and enjoyment, excitement, fun. You're determining your own way. You're being your own boss, your own God. You're choosing your way. And really, this message is, doesn't even relate to you. You just think it's not real. That's not my destiny. All I have is this portion of time to live. I'm going to make the most of it, and I think this is fun. That's what I want. And Jesus says, that's a road to destruction, and broad is that road. The road that's narrow is choosing against the stream of the entire world. It's going against the current of the world that says, this is good. And we're choosing what God says is good, which is very different than what the world is often saying what is good. 
And you have to decide, how do I decide what is good and what is not good? Here's how most people decide, whatever I want is good, whatever I don't want is not good. But you need something bigger than your own opinion. You need something bigger than your own emotions. You need something bigger and more reliable to choose with wisdom and glory and grandeur because your soul has been created for eternity to reflect the glory of God. And if you choose wrong, you wreck your soul's ability to reflect glory. And eventually, all lights are out if you've chosen not to reflect light. Light has nothing to do with darkness. And when all lights are out, there is no longer anything that can bring you to repentance. Did you just follow my track of thought? While we're still in this frame of life, where it's a temporary time where choice is now, while we still have breath until we die, we're choosing in a mix of bad and good before a God who doesn't force our choice. And he wants to, us to choose him on his merits, on his goodness. He's saying, I love you this much. I love you this much. Do you love me too? And if we say no, and we choose the course that is no, eventually lights out. For right now, lights aren't out. And we want to keep bringing the light before people that are choosing darkness to help with that light, to turn them back towards the light, because that's their only hope. Because Second Thessalonians, Paul writing says this, he will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction. Now, that word everlasting is important. If he says he will punish them with destruction, that just means we cease to exist. But that is not what it says. He punishes us with everlasting destruction, the destruction of our soul that lasts forever because our souls, when he breathed life into us as glorious beings, have chosen Darkness instead of glory, and we'll be shut off from the presence of God, which means no more life, no more glory, no more light to reflect, and we're stuck now in the darkness that we have chosen, and we are no longer in a state of light and darkness with which we can choose. There is no light to turn us back. That's why it's forever. Here's another reason why it's forever. We have sinned against the infinite being with the Choice with the consequence that is infinite. We've rejected the eternal Son of God, and that is an eternal crime that has an eternal punishment. And that's logically consistent from God's perspective. If I allowed my Son to go through this for you, and you rejected it completely, why should I let you slide out of your rejection? And it makes sense to me. So why forever? When eternal souls become fixed in their darkness, there is no light to bring about repentance. Point number four, the Lord is not wanting anyone to perish. In our uh, purpose statement as a church, we're trying to help everyone take steps from wherever they are, from wherever we are, from wherever you are. We want us to take steps from wherever we are to where God wants us to be. Let me re be really clear. Where does God want us to be? God wants us to have a personal, loving relationship with him forever. That's what he wants, but he refuses to force you on it. 
He wants you to choose on the goodness of who he is when he says, I've done this for you, and I've done this for you, and I've done this for you. Will you be mine? If we say no, he says, okay. Now, I'm not making this up that he doesn't want you to perish. This is what Peter writes in 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. He's so patient. We think, can you just judge the evil in this world? He says, well, that's like judging your brother and sister and all the people around you. I'm patient. I want them to turn. I want them to turn. He doesn't want them to go to hell. He wants a loving, eternal relationship with everyone. And he's giving us time. So what did God do about it? Here's a rapid-fire gospel presentation. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. Wage. But the gift, what we don't deserve, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans 5, 8 through 9 says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. By the way, if you're still a sinner, don't try to clean up first so you can come back to God. You need a savior so you can get cleaned up. And he died for you in your state of sin and wants you to turn to him right now, today before you try to get your act together. No, come to him and he'll help you. And since we have been made right in God's sight by the blood of Christ, he will certainly save us from God's condemnation. Point number five. This thing that looks like Mayday, O-M-A-Y-D, is just the title of our series, One Minute After You Die. One minute after you die, God cannot reverse your self-chosen destiny. God can't do it. He refuses because of a higher decision he's made to allow your choice and respect your choice. So to put that together, here's a series of logical thoughts. Reflect. God didn't create choice and then force us to choose him. I mean, I suppose if he's God, he could do that, but he honors choice, and so he doesn't do that. That would remove the reality of choice if he forced people to love him. And he's a gentleman. He does not force love. God didn't create choice and take away its consequences. That would remove the validity of choice. God didn't create choice and then fail to show us the outcomes that would remove the transparency of choice. So he has given us the ability to choose him, sent his son that we would respond to him, and he's said clearly what happens if we do not, and there's nothing hidden. And so it's so important that I'm as transparent as Jesus is about eternal consequences to eternity as we're standing here at the threshold. Here's one sentence from a Bible dictionary by Tyndale that reads this way. When the only remedy for human sin is rejected and all appeals of a loving, seeking God for the 
Let me try that again. When the only remedy for human sin is rejected and all appeals of a loving, seeking God for the reconciliation of rebellious sinners are refused, there is no other course of action that God himself can pursue but to leave the sinner to his self-chosen destiny. Again, all the cry that says, why would a awful God like what you're describing send anybody to hell? The simple answer is he doesn't. He refuses to keep you out when you insist on going there. It's your choice. So all of this is heavy. Would you just take a deep sigh with me? Aren't you glad we're done with this part? Next week is great. We talk about eternity with God. But let's bring us to the point of application here. This isn't just to answer hard questions. This is to try to figure out, what does this have to do with me right now? Every time you look at somebody in the eyes, I want you to look at them as eternal souls. I want you to see them as those that have an eternal destiny. If you don't know where their eternal destiny is, you need to do all you can to bring the light to them. Partner with Jesus Christ in love like Jesus, with truth and grace to bring a repentance possibility by the goodness of light that comes from Jesus. Because now is our time. One minute after we die, it's too late. So let's finish with this prayer. Dear God, we believe you are good. Thank you for giving us choice. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for access to you and your love and grace forever. Inspire us to love everyone we can with your practical grace and truth that promises eternal life. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together. If this is something that you would be willing to pray, I want you to pray it by faith. Don't just read it. Engage your faith and say yes to Jesus and yes to joining up with him and seeing things from eternal perspective. Eternity is so much longer than the few months we have left or days. I don't know. Or years. How short is that in light of eternity? Ready? Dear God, we believe you are good. Thank you for giving us choice. Thank you for giving us Jesus. Thank you for access to you and your love and grace forever. Inspire us to love everyone we can with your practical grace and truth that promises eternal life. Amen. Amen. All right. Can't wait till next week. I hope you come back for eternity with God. See you then. If you're carrying any kind of a burden, we have a prayer team to the right of the stage. Make sure you go get somebody to lighten that load and pray for you. God bless.